turn for our scripture reading to the book of Nehemiah, Nehemiah at chapter 6. When word came to Sanballat, Tobiah, Geshem, the Arab, and the rest of our enemies that I had rebuilt the wall and not a gap was left in it, though up to that time I had not set the doors and the gates, Sanballat and Geshem sent me this message. Come, let us meet together in one of the villages on the plain of Ono. But they were scheming to harm me. So I sent messengers to them with this reply. I am carrying on a great project and cannot go down. Why should the work stop while I leave it and go down to you? Four times they sent me the same message and each time I gave them the same answer. Then the fifth time, Sanballat sent his assistant to me with the same message, and in his hand was an unsealed letter in which was written, It is reported among the nations, and Geshem says it is true, that you and the Jews are plotting to revolt, and therefore you are building the wall. Moreover, according to these reports, you're about to become their king and have even appointed prophets to make this proclamation about you in Jerusalem. There is a king in Judah. Now this report will go back to the king, so come, let us confer together. I sent him this reply. Nothing like what you're saying is happening. You're just making it up out of your head. They were all trying to frighten us, thinking their hands will get too weak for the work and it will not be completed. But I prayed, now strengthen my hands. One day I went to the house of Shemaiah, son of Deliah, the son of Maccabel, who, had shut, who was shut in at his house. He said, let us meet together in the house of God inside the temple and let us close the temple doors because men are coming to kill you. By night they are coming to kill you. But I said, should a man like me run away or should one like me go into the temple to save his life? I will not go. I realized that God had not sent them but that he had prophesied against me because Tobiah and Sanballat had hired him. He had been hired to intimidate me so that I would commit a sin by doing this, and then they would give me a bad name to discredit me. Remember Tobiah and Sanballat, O my God, because of what they have done. Remember also the prophetess Noadiah and the rest of the prophets who have been trying to intimidate me. So the wall was completed on the 25th of Elul in 52 days. When all our enemies heard about this, all the surrounding nations were afraid and lost their self-confidence because they realized that this work had been done with the help of our God. Also, in those days the nobles of Judah were sending many letters to Tobiah and replies from Tobiah kept coming to them. For many in Judah were under oath to him, since he was a son-in-law uh, to Shekiah, the son of Arah. And his son, 
Jehonahan had married the daughter of Meshulam, son of Berechiah. Moreover, they kept reporting to me his good deeds and then telling him what I had said. And Tobiah sent letters to intimidate me. So we read from God's word from the New Testament, uh, from First Peter chapter 1. We're going to read at the first verse. Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ, to God's elect, strangers in the world scattered throughout Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia, who have been chosen according to the foreknowledge of God the Father, through the sanctifying work of the Spirit, for obedience to Jesus Christ and sprinkling by his blood. Grace and peace be yours in abundance. Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. In his great mercy he has given us new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead and into an inheritance that can never perish, spoil or fade, kept in heaven for you who, through faith, are shielded by God's power until the coming of the salvation that is ready to be revealed in the last time. In this you greatly rejoice, though now for a little while you may have had to suffer grief in all kinds of trials. These have come so that your faith of greater worth than gold, which perishes even though refined by fire, may be proved genuine and may result in the praise, glory, and honor when Jesus Christ is revealed. Though you have not seen him, you love him. And even though you do not see him now, you believe in him and are filled with an inexpressible and glorious joy, for you are receiving the goal of your faith, the salvation of your souls. Concerning this salvation, the prophets who spoke of the grace that was to come to you, searched intently and with the greatest care, trying to find out the time and circumstances to which the Spirit of Christ in them was pointing when he predicted that the sufferings of Christ and the glories that would follow. It was revealed to them that they were not serving themselves, but you, when they spoke of the things that have now been told you by those who have preached the gospel to you by the Holy Spirit sent from heaven. Even angels long to look into these things. Therefore, prepare your minds for action. Be self-controlled. Set your hope fully on the grace to be given you when Jesus Christ is revealed. As obedient children, do not conform to the evil desires you had when you lived in ignorance. But just as he who called you is holy, so be holy in all you do. For it is written, Be holy because I am holy. I'm not a golfer. Uh, tried at one time, only made a fool of myself, so I never went any further. Maybe there are some here. But I can imagine that there are certain steps that need to be taken if you want to be a good 
golfer. And surely the first thing is to get the mindset right, to get focused. The mind is that wonderful instrument the Lord has given us, and a sound mind is a great gift. And we do well to exercise our minds. If a professional golfer goes out to play a match and his mind's not on it, he's not going to do well at all. Maybe Rory, what's his name, was thinking about something else uh, when he went out onto the tee that, that, that day. But the Lord talks to Christians about our minds. First Peter 1.13 Therefore, preparing your minds for action. The authorized version gives us a, a beautiful, a vivid picture uh, of what the Lord requires of us. It says, gird up the loins of your mind. The, the, the picture is one from the ancient Near East. Men would have worn long flowing cloaks. Of course, it was cooler, it was more comfortable, but, but for some activities, not very practical. Uh, an athlete or a soldier. Uh, you remember in the Passover, the children of Israel were told to eat the Passover with their cloaks tucked into their belt. Why? Because just after that they were about to flee. They were ready for a journey. Uh, and, and you remember in First Kings 18, Elijah was out running Ahab. Uh, get thee for the rain stop thee not. Ahab was in a chariot, but Elijah managed to outrun him. And we are told, tucking his cloak into his belt. That is, he was ready for action. So Peter here is using that picture. He says, use your mind like that. Get the mind ready. The heart, the emotions, yes, are necessary in the Christian life. Love, fear, uh, all these things, the emotions, yes, but so too is the mind. And the Lord tells us time after time to, to use our minds. A friend of a friend of ours, the Roman Catholic, he is um, a professional man, and I, I use that term in the proper sense there. And he has done very, very well in his profession. But when you go to talk to him about the things of God, he says, no, 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 no. I don't even think about that. I, I pay the priest to do that for me. But the Lord tells us to, to use our minds. And then you have the extreme charismatic, where the, 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 the emotions and the feeling takes over. And as long as the feeling's right, they don't maybe have to think about things too much. But the Lord says, preparing your minds... For action. Just as you make sure your loose skirts don't get in the way, the apostle here is telling us make sure no unnecessary thoughts, especially harmful thoughts, no unnecessary thoughts hinder your spiritual thinking. Over in Hebrews 12 and verse 1. Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles, and let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us. 
Could it be that you're encumbered with the things of this world? It's so easy, isn't it? And is it possible that the loose skirts of the mind are are catching on the thorns of this earth? The mind should be exercised with spiritual things, especially the word. There are so many things that distract us. A lot of things that are perfectly harmless in themselves, but isn't it so easy to get to get uh, to waste time. Um, I often say, instead of watching neighbours in the same time, you could be reading Nahum or Nehemiah. Instead of watching Coronation Street, you could be reading Chronicles or Colossians. No. Gird up the loins of your mind. And that's in the aorist tense. That's, that's continuing. Keep on uh, girding up the loins of your mind. Uh, Nehemiah, he, he refused to let anything interfere with the, the work, work of the Lord. There were, there were people all around him who were trying to stop him. But Nehemiah says, no, no, I'm focused here. I have my mind focused on what the Lord has for me, and that's where I'm going. And surely, Surely the best way to gird up the loins of our mind, to, to focus the mind, is to spend time in prayer, as indeed Nehemiah did. Well, this golfer, he is about to go out onto the tee. He steadies himself, doesn't get head up. He wants to be cool and calm. You know, people do get get the blood up it's hard sometimes not to isn't it I remember a man sitting beside a man in a meeting and uh, he was well known for his outspoken views didn't make too many friends sometimes but he was sitting there and you could really see that his face was getting red he was determined not to speak because he knew that as soon as he had opened his mouth he would say something he shouldn't uh, and, and, and the blood vessels were, were getting up. Uh, that, that, that's not being calm. That's not being steady. That's not being sober. Just this week I heard of a man who had passed away. Uh, I remember him. He was a bit older than me, but I remember him when he was a student. And they were was with a, an, ath, an, athletes, an athletics group they were down south somewhere and as young men do he got a lot to drink and he was driving home and the fellows that were with him have told that as he was driving home he clutched the wheel and the whole way back to his accommodation he said must must be careful must be careful must be careful he wasn't sober far from it that's not being sober that's not what the Lord's talking about the Lord says be sober-minded. That's described here as being calm and collected in spirit. It means putting a controlled restraint on your actions. One of the aspects of the fruit of the spirit is to be self-controlled. Or better, to be controlled by the spirit of God. Firstly, Peter writes, your mind, use your mind, be sober, 
Be self-controlled. Therefore, prepare your minds for action. Be self-controlled. And then he goes on, set your hope fully on the grace to be given you when Jesus Christ is revealed. Well, if you're playing golf, I suppose uh, one of the things to decide is what direction am I going in? Where's the green? Where's the hole? And if you can't see it, you don't just guess. You take a good look. You, you do a recce. You look for the rough uh, and the water and the humps and the hollows. And then you keep your eye on that little hole where you intend to, to put the ball in. It's uh, always a good procedure in life to look where you're going, where you intend to end up. The businessman looks at his books. The young couple look at the relationship. The young person looks at his education, at his career pattern. Peter says here of the Christian, set your hope fully on the grace that will be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. The writer to the Hebrews, we've quoted them here already in uh, chapter 12. He says, Let us fix our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy set before him endured the cross, scorning its shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. And Peter uh, later writing his second letter to uh, second letter here in 2 Peter 3 and verse 11 says since everything will be destroyed in this way what kind of people ought you to be you ought to live holy and godly lives as you look forward to the day of God and speed its coming Christian is going to the Lord. Christians going to heaven. This is a distinct feature of the Christian. And yet isn't it so easy sometimes to 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 to, to for the goalposts to become hazy. Other things have caught the Christian's attention. The good things of this life, the difficulties of this life. These are the things that Peter earlier uh, in this chapter spoke about, the things that perish, spoil, and fade. You know, sometimes it's a good thing to do an audit in this regard. We have to ask ourselves, what is it that I daydream about? What is it I talk to other people about? Is my mind set on the things of God? my mind set on the Saviour and that, that place that he has prepared for those who love him. Yes, your mind focused. Then be sober, be self-controlled. And then keep your eye on where you're going. And fourthly, the rules, the rules. Well, at the Open this week, with thousands of people watching, I'm sure it wasn't very easy for competitors to break the rules. I don't know. I'm sure they have rules in golf. As somebody who hasn't played, 
I can try and break the rules a wee bit. Maybe uh, if I were playing and I hit my ball into the rough and uh, I was looking round for it and couldn't find it, I might have a spare ball in my pocket that I could just drop and say, oh, here it is. Or on the other hand, if my competitor hit in the rough, I could, uh, I could walk around and maybe see his ball and set my foot on it. You know, I don't know. Do, do, does that happen? I'm sure it wouldn't. I'm sure it wouldn't. But, but you know, uh, what about the Christian? Verse 14 here, verse 14. As obedient children, do not conform to the evil desires you had when you lived in ignorance. Obedience. There's the very first sin. Disobedience. Oh, you who are the Lord. You have repented of sin. You have put your faith in the Lord Jesus Christ and in him alone. That used to be your nature. That was your nature. But let's face it. In Christian people, those old traits and habits die hard. And so the apostle has to remind us, do not conform to the evil desires that you had when you lived in ignorance. I picture a, a shop or a, a cafe that has become run down, that has acquired a poor reputation uh, and running at a loss. And somebody with a wee bit of capital comes along and sees its potential, he buys it, he disposes, throws out the old stock, gets rid of the old equipment, uh, refurbishes it, restocks, uh, very important, of course, restaffs. Restaffs. He, he, he'll not employ any of those people that are standing talking to their friends while they're, they're serving you or looking straight through you. No, no, no. He trains the staff. He sets up that process by which it's going to have a very different style from the old business. And then he puts a notice in the window under new management. By the way, he doesn't try to hide that. He openly declares that it's under new management. He wants it to be known. And everything now in the establishment is done in line with the policy of the new owner. Obedience. John says, if anyone loves me, he will obey my teaching. You see, here, Peter, like John, is talking of those who love the Lord. Those who recognize themselves to be sinners, who look to the Lord Jesus, who see the cross, who see the suffering, who truly repent of sin, who see their, their sins laid upon him by faith, who love him. This is, the, this is the new obedience. It's done for new ends, not for our own gain, but for his glory. It's done for a new master, not for self, but for the Lord. Obedience. Obedience. And where do we find our master's desires, his wishes? Where else than in his word? And then obey it. Obey it. Firstly, the mind. Focused. Then be, be sober. Be self-controlled. Then keep your eye on where you're going to be with the Lord. And then the rules. Fifthly, your role model. 
I would have thought that every aspiring golfer would have a role model. Somebody to watch, somebody to keep your eye on every move. Uh, I can't go into it for I don't know. Uh, But surely that must be a big thing in golf, is it not? When I was a young fella, I remember still in my teens going out and buying a pair of cavalry twill trousers and a yellow cravat. Now, it's not a thing you could buy in every shop and it never ever was a fashion item. Why, why then did I dress like that? You see, there was a chap I knew that I admired and that's the way he dressed. A, a, a role model. And isn't that what young people, not, not just young people, but isn't that what people are influenced by? Did you never have a role model? A very potent force in the life of young people especially. Uh, clothes. I mean, who in their right mind would go out and buy a pair of trousers with a hole in them? But that's how it is, because young people see other young people that they admire with clothes like that. The hairstyle. I, I, I never have any bother trying to be follow anybody else in that, that department. Your choice of career. But then things like where you go, your speech, your habits... Peter is speaking to Christian people in Asia Minor and to us. And he says, you have a role model. Verse 15. Just as he who called you is holy, so be holy in all you do. For it is written, be holy because I am holy. What a role model. What an ideal. Now, now let's be clear. That's not all Jesus is. Not, not at all. Not all. Salvation is not a case of copying Jesus' lifestyle. But for those who are trusting in the Lord Jesus for salvation, he is our role model. Paul, Colossians 3.10. You have put on the new self which is being renewed in the image of its creator. And he writes to the church at Ephesus. You were taught to put on the new self created to be like God in true righteousness and holiness. A role model, not just in some things, not just to pick and choose, but it's very clear here in uh, verses 15 and 16. Just as he who called you is holy, so be holy in all you do. In all you do, for it is written, be holy because I am holy. The special attribute, of course, that he's talking about here as the role model is holiness. You'll notice it's four times mentioned. Holy. We who are his, purchased by the blood of Christ, must all, at all times and in all areas of life, strive to be holy. Separated from all that is impure, Consecrated to his service. Therefore, prepare your minds for action. Be self-controlled. Set your hope fully on the grace to be given you when Jesus Christ is revealed. 
As obedient children, do not conform to the evil desires you had when you lived in ignorance. But just as he who called you is holy, so be holy in all you do. For it is written, Be holy, because I 